Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast. Today, Michael and I were joined by Levi, who's the best-selling author of Passive Prospecting. Dominate your market without cold calling, chasing clients, or spending money on ads, which sounds kind of awesome if you're in business. You're going to want to know that. Now, he has a particular slant, Michael, towards real estate, which I thought was very valuable and helpful. But really, what he's talking about works across all industries. Um, And, you know, we didn't even get to talk about this, but he's an Iraq combat veteran and a marketing pro who's built multiple seven-figure businesses. Um, I thought he was personable. I thought he was charismatic. I thought he was informative. And he's a great speaker. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you had some envy on your badges behind you. That's okay. Some, uh, most people do, though. That's one of the first things people say is, um, oh, I like your badges. I guarantee I this is going to start happening. They're going to be all over. But you need to give Lisa credit for that. It's going to be like a national trend. I do give Lisa credit for that because when I used to hang them, the lanyards on the lanyard lamp and nobody saw them because it wasn't really the time of Zoom, but I saw them. And so, yeah, I'd get home from a speaking at a conference and I'd hang the lanyard on the lamp and it was great. Well, then she found these marathon award medal holders, which feels kind of false that I'm putting conference badges on them. But now when I get back from speaking at a conference, I hang it on that. And because it's on the wall behind my desk, when I'm on Zoom calls, people see it and they comment on it because it looks good. Nice. One thing about, um, I think Levi was one of the first people that um, he's a true influencer. I mean, as far as his numbers and followers and um, and not on the little stage, like the big stage. I mean, he, you know, and it's it's impressive, but it's first time I really got to talk to somebody who was a creator like that in that space and how they got there and what they did to get there and some of the tips and things. And one of the things that rang true with me was, and he'll talk about this, is just the authenticity part of it. And I think that's the hard part right now because it's so, there's so much out there. There's such a push for just putting content and copying and being somebody else. And let me follow what they did. Or let me try to be something I'm not. And I think it's important that no matter what you're doing, if you're in a B2B space, B2C, whatever you're doing, if you're marketing, you have to be authentic. You have to know who you are. You have to know who your audience is and you have to be true to that because otherwise you're not going to, either you're going to find the wrong audience and it's going to end badly or you're going to find no audience at all. And um, I think when you know who you are, then that audience will find you and there'll be a wonderful relationship and it'll continue on for years and becomes loyalty and advocacy, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's what we all want, right? In advertising. Right. No, absolutely. And uh, and I think Levi does a really good job of kind of setting it up and walking you through the steps to do it because you can't just create one piece of content. You know, he's got 400 videos out there because it takes quality, comes from quantity. So it takes some effort to get there. But, you know, I think that the people are ready to hear what Levi has to say, not us talking about him. And joining us today, the man himself, Levi, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. No, thank you for being here. You know, it's so funny when we first talked internally um, because we saw your bio online and we were intrigued and thought you could really bring something that our B2B audience would appreciate because you've got a lot of knowledge and I feel like there's a lot we're going to get into. And so we were like, yeah, okay, he'd be a great guest. You got booked. Woo, we were excited. <laughs> and then I'm guessing at some point there was some like two ships passing in the night. Somebody on your team reached back out to us and was like, you should book Levi. And I sent it to Christina and I said, we should book this guy. She goes, he's literally your guest next week. I'm like, that's oh. awesome. So we're <laughs> super glad you're here twice. That's awesome. That's yeah, great. I love I love it when word gets around. That's really cool. I had uh, uh, somebody, I was on a podcast, Eight Limbs, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, 
never, this guy never heard of me before. And then he said within one week, three different people said I should be on his podcast. So he's like, I've got to get you on the podcast, you know? And so, yeah, so it's good. That's a good thing. Um, now we're neighborish because you're in Dallas and we're in Louisiana, so we're kind of uh-huh. near each other. Um, how do you, now you're in a major metro market where we're in Lafayette, which is a little bit smaller than Dallas, just a touch. Um, yeah. But how do you feel about kind of this middle of the country? Because when I worked on the West Coast, there was this whole flyover state vibe that I got all the time that I didn't super appreciate that the West coast and East coast mattered and everything in the middle was just something you had to fly over to get to what mattered again. So do you find that now, or do you think we started to evolve a little bit and the people in the middle have some appreciation? No, I think it's uh, up to every entrepreneur in their space to put their city on the map, you know? And the thing is, is let's look at Las Vegas. Las Vegas was seen probably for the last ever as the party town, right? Sin City is the right. name. But now you've got what Alex Hermosi, Sean Cannell, Ryan Pineda. Uh, I mean, so many content creators, business owners are, you know, Graham Stephan moved there, bought a house. So all these online uh, influencers that are moving over there, mainly because they're trying to get out of California. So even though California may be on the map, you know, nobody has wanted to really stick around there over the last couple of years, especially with what's happened. So, you know, I think it's something where I see Las Vegas now as an entrepreneurial hub versus Sin City. Plus, I've been there probably 10 times this year already for conferences. So it is definitely the conference capital of the world. Now for me, I want to put Dallas on the map. I I don't know if, uh, I mean, I think Dallas is known for, you know, Mark Cuban probably and and those types of entrepreneurs, uh, Ross Perot. But as far as the the small time YouTubers or business owners or or influencers, I would say, I, I wouldn't say Dallas is even known for that being a metro area. But again, I think you want to put that your area on the map and you can do that in in Louisiana. You know, the thing is, I think about Louisiana and I uh, I don't know if have you ever heard of Ryan Holiday? Yes. And yeah. So Ryan Holiday, you know, was in New Orleans. He now lives in Austin, Texas, but right. or a little ranch. But I think about whenever I first came across some of Ryan Holiday's books and uh, he was based out of New Orleans. And so that was something that he kind of put that on the map, you know, right. uh, and someone like Drew Brees kind of put New Orleans back on the map. So Absolutely. think about it. I just think that uh, what you do, uh, you know, doesn't really matter to where you're at with this day and age and the Internet. Exactly right. No, and I agree 100 percent. But I love your take on it, that every entrepreneur is responsible for putting their community on the map. And that's a geographical community and a business community. And so I, I like that approach to it. You know, being based in Lafayette, if, if you think of Louisiana as a boot, uh, Lafayette is the ankle bone. So we're kind of in the southern middle part of the state, Cajun country. Uh, Louisiana Raging Cajuns is our local university. We're known for some really good food. We have a family-friendly version of Mardi Gras uh, that I appreciate. But I think our kind of claim- I know well. I know. I used to live in New Orleans, actually. Okay, so you're just two hours away. (laughs) You know the drill. You had to get through here to get back to Dallas. That's Um, right. But I think one of the things that really put our community on the map was high-speed internet. Uh, We had fiber to the home (laughs) created as a utility. Uh, Our city did it. And it's throughout our parish, which is a county for everybody else. And it has been huge in terms of attracting business to our community. So when I think about the work that you've done, whether it's in the real estate industry, um, your work as an entrepreneur, you know, it's about the resources that you have available. And so, which I'm kind of segueing into the book, because when we think about B2B 
and prospecting that people do and your approach, which is passive prospecting, which is also the name of your book. um, I feel like how are you leveraging resources to create that passive opportunity? Well, I think before before we jump into that real quick, just on that thought, Jack, too, is, you know, when we first um, moved, we were both from Louisiana, Jack and I. Um, I went to Seattle after college. She went to Los Angeles. She worked in the entertainment industry. I was in advertising and, and hospitality industry. And uh, we both moved back at the same time, met, got married, had kids, et cetera. And one of our biggest challenges early on was being the the ugly stepchild at a lot of meetings, you know, like nobody, well, where's Lafayette and who are you and whatnot. It was, and we, and we had, we had a lot of experience. So working with bigger markets and bigger clients and but it was it was so hard to get our foot in the door and always being the runner up you know but the past 10 years and we kind of hit our sweet spot too but it seems like the world's opened up a little bit more too to those opportunities um because of the the technology and the changes and people are more open to have these zoom calls and to really reach out and so that's been kind of a game changer too i think and and having more opportunities i don't know if you agree with that or not but uh it just seems like that's it's a new day you know well, let, I'll I'll give you the tale of two cities, right? And the tale of two entrepreneurs, which is, I want to use an example of somebody in the Baton Rouge area named Christina Smallhorn. Now, uh, have you familiar with her or no? Mm-mm, no, okay. not, not familiar. Right, so, so here's the deal. Uh, let's, let's look at me, for example. I'm in Dallas, Texas, a major metro area, huge for relocation. Real estate is growing. Even in this market with 8% interest rates, we're still uh, busy, you know, and home prices are still rising despite everybody sitting on the sidelines. Now, I've got a huge opportunity to where I'm able to monetize because I create content on YouTube. I attract so much business and we pull it off of YouTube and help these people buy and sell homes. You see, uh, earning real estate commissions, uh, and this could be in any business, is going to pay me way more than trying to you know get millions of views and earn ad revenue from from YouTube, right? Or uh, maybe building up an affiliate marketing system, which I do have affiliates, but again, it's not going to pay me the same amount that that real estate commissions are. It's a high ticket item. You know, average commission could be about fifteen thousand dollars. Well, last year from our channel, we closed one hundred and fifty four transactions just from our channel alone. So now. Let's look at the tale of the other city, which is Christina Smallhorn in Baton Rouge, which is not uh, a top relocation market. It's not uh, a lot of uh, activity going on. There's there's definitely real estate activity, but she also runs a real estate business. However, she does not she does not do local or transactions with clients. She actually talks about a broader subject, which is affordable housing and also tiny homes, things like that, because that kind of falls into affordable housing. So now she has a national audience. What she does is because as a real estate agent, you can actually get referrals on business. So of course, people know, like, and trust her. And so they will reach out to her and say, hey, you know, I'm not in Baton Rouge, but I'm in you know, Louisville, Kentucky, do you know an agent that could help me out buy or sell a home? And so what does she do? She has a referral partner in Louisville, Denver, Colorado, uh, Detroit, Michigan. It doesn't matter. She's got them all over the U.S. and she will reach out and say, hey, I got somebody that needs to buy a house. Would you like to give me 25% of that? commission, you know, or whatever her rate may, I don't know what her exact rate is, but she could say, Hey, can I, and, and real estate agents do this all the time. It's a referral system. Right. And so she does that. Um, and that's how she earns a living uh, through a national audience. She also has over 200,000 subscribers on her channel. Well, I've got 27,000. Okay. So she's got 10 times the amount of subscribers, but if you were to compare notes, I think, 
and don't quote me on this, but I believe we earn more money because we're focused on local, hyper-local market. And of course, we're actually working with clients and we're 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 earning a hundred percent of that commission versus you know 25 or 30 percent on referral. But for someone in Baton Rouge, Louisiana that lives kind of even on the outskirts or in the country, that's a very good living because she doesn't go out, doesn't show homes, doesn't open doors, doesn't write contracts. None of that. And she, I think, makes two videos a week. So she just stays consistent on that content. Same thing with I do. I make two to three videos a week. But because we're trying to capture people to actually work with them offline, you know, we're able to, uh, you know, earn quite a bit from that. So and this this can apply for any business. I know a plumber here in Dallas that the guy has 600,000 subscribers. I mean, who wants to learn about plumbing. Well, there's a lot of people on YouTube, right? But guess what? Whenever my pipe busted in my backyard, who did I call? I called the the plumber on YouTube, right? Uh, mainly because I know him, but also because I, I like that. I'd like to support content creators, but all he does is make content now about plumbing, leaky faucets, leaky toilets, because he knows if he helps people fix those small problems in their house on their own, whenever they have a big problem, who are they more likely to call? And I know whenever that pipe bust in the middle of my backyard, all of a sudden I had a swimming pool in my backyard. The whole backyard had to be excavated. The whole pipe had to be replaced because uh, it's a historic home. Cost me $7,000. But guess who I called? So he's willing to forego the leaky faucet and the leaky toilet call makes content on how you can just fix that on your own because he knows there's a much bigger play. Yeah, right. I'll give Jackie credit because she's from early on before this kind of wave of, of, of social media things got really kind of kind of crazy. But it was always we always pushed our clients to be the expert in the room. You know, to you have to be the person they may not need you now, but they need you down the road, you know, and if they trust you and you're giving out content and people were, you know, I was afraid of that as an agency. She's like, let's let's talk about this and this. I'm like, no, we're giving it away. We're giving it away. We wrote a book basically tells our entire process. If you want to figure it out, just read the book. I mean, but it's it's providing information so people can understand it. They view you as the expert. Hopefully they'll call you when they need you, or they'll at least think of you or take your call when you call them. And so yeah. that's part of establishing that over time. A hundred percent. What I think it matters, you know, when we talk about establishing yourself as the expert in the room, that thought leadership approach. I mean, and maybe you would disagree, Levi, but I feel like it's got to be passive and active. And so you want to have inbound and outbound opportunities. And so what you're talking about is a lot of activity to create inbound opportunities that feel passive because they're just coming to you. But then there's also, I think it's helpful to develop a lot of external um, outbound push to have it push back. It's it's physics, right? It's push and pull. Uh, the more you put out, the better potential you have of it coming back. And and to me, that's going to be balanced. Well, we, I mean, we call it passive prospecting. It's definitely active conversion. So uh, just because you do provide the value. Now, people will come to you through the power of video with the relationship already in place. That To me, that's the most powerful thing about videos that whenever they call us, they've already made a decision that they want to work with us. But it's, it's, in our, our uh, best interest to validate that decision, right? We still have to uh, take care of them. We still have to follow up. We still may have to talk to them two, three, four, five, six, seven times. They may not come into town for two, three, or four months. There's all these different scenarios to where, yes, we still have to have an active conversion process because it's not just people saying, hey, yeah, I saw your videos. You must be the greatest person in the world. Uh, please ignore me. And then I'm whenever I'm ready, I'll be happy to do business with you. It doesn't work that way. So, uh, I mean, for us now in our business, 
I have never made a cold call or knocked on a single door, anything like that, real estate related as far as outbound activity. It all has been 100% inbound, but I do recommend uh, that you do uh, not rely just on one source. I think you should have a a few different options for multiple lead sources. So whatever uh, the case may be, then you either want to implement some sort of paid ad strategy. You want to implement some, another organic strategy or something because uh, you know, things can fluctuate in the market and we've seen it like this year views are down on the channel, but our conversions are up. So, and our our conversions up are about 4%, which tells us that the people that are calling us, even in this market are extremely serious. They're even more serious than last year. So we're still able to generate good business from doing that. But at the same time, you know, a paid strategy is a little bit more predictable than an organic strategy. An organic strategy is kind of like, ah, well, I'm going to make the content and I'm going to try to get this many views. We have narrowed it down to, you know, about, um, I think a thousand, a thousand views on our channel equals about one phone call. So we can kind of determine that. But at the same time, if uh, views are down again, because people are sitting on the sideline in the market right now, then we need something else that's a little bit more predictable, usually with a, a paid campaign or something like that. You can predict, right? Well, if I spend a hundred bucks a day, I should get, you know, two or three leads, whatever the case or the scenario might be. So if you are running less or getting less leads on one side, maybe you can increase a little bit of ad spend and make up the difference if you want to maintain the same amount. So yeah, I think there's definitely different scenarios that you can play in there. So, uh, but it does still take active conversion. No, and I agree completely. It's, it's that that yin and the yang. It's the push and the pull. It's, it's the equal thing. What I feel like some people when they hear passive prospecting and tell me if, if you've heard this is they think they can just sit back and wait. And I'm like, no, no, you're doing work to create those opportunities. You're just doing it differently. Well, I'm still making videos. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. You know, for, for the time being. But uh, the reason we call it passive prospecting is because the whole concept of getting pa- something passive really takes a lot of work up front. And it really comes down to a compound effect. And at the same time, yes, you may develop a passive income, but will it stay 100% passive if you never touch it again? That's that's very rare. Um, so you, it usually requires some touching some uh, involvement, right? Even if it becomes passive. Now, maybe your involvement gets less. And like right now, I can make less videos, but at the same time with the way the market is happening and 8% interest rates, it it actually makes sense for me to make more content, you know, to have more uh, opportunities out there for people to see it. So for me, it's just a matter of uh, continually working towards uh, building that up. And and now what, this is the concept of passive prospecting is that I make that one video and that video is going to go to work for me mm-hmm. and it's going to continually prospect 24-7 and not really just in a return of my time, but in a compound effect of my time. And that's really my favorite concept of video, YouTube, and passive prospecting is that uh, YouTube tells me the direct return of my time. And a lot of people say time is the most valuable asset and it's finite. You can't get it back, right? And so uh, once you miss an opportunity, you can't go back. And I and I don't believe that. I believe you can compound time and get a compound return, which is you make a video, say it takes you about 30 minutes to make. Well, as soon as that video has been watched 31 minutes, 
I, th- I believe you've profited one minute of your time. And for example, one video we had has been watched over 12,000 hours, took me 30 minutes to make. Well, that's almost like a year and a half worth of prospecting that I've gotten from that video out of my 30 minute investment. So for me, that is a compound return on my time. It's it's a direct correlation. I can see the watch time and the amount that that video is, is prospecting for me. Now, I can't just rely on one video and and think it's going to passively prospect for me. It will, but the amount of business it returns is probably going to be uh, zero. <laughs> you know, so I've got to make a second, a third, a fourth video. And at this point, I'm up to 400 videos on the channel now. That still takes my active effort, but those now I've got four different, four hundred different versions of me prospecting for me instead of being dependent upon myself. Right. How does that, Jack? I'm sorry, but I I just I'm thinking as you talk about that because I watch a lot of you know uh, things out there now, and there are people out there that are making a living telling people how they made a living. Like, it's like, hey, this is my, you know, I'm going to tell you that here's how I create content. Here's how I create a bunch of it. And this is the step-by-step. And to, to get this done, you go to ChatGPT and you type this in and you do this and this. And it's, it's like a shortcut, right? And to get, it's all about pushing a content no matter what it is. But I think what people are missing a lot of right now is good content. You know, <laughs> like, I think we're in a kind of the age of mediocrity a lot of times, you know, because it's so easy to do it that people aren't taking the time to really dig in deep and really figure out what their audience is, what they're saying, what, what they're trying to do out there. And so I think the result of that is you get people that, well, I put my videos up for six months and I'm getting five views every video and nothing's ever happening. And I'm like, well, yeah, but what, what are you putting out there? And I think that's that's the part that 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 we miss sometimes as a, as a world. You know, it's like, well, I can just follow these steps and I can be like, you know, like Levi and I can have 100,000 views and I can have all these analytics. And th- they think they're doing the same thing, but it, it's harder than it looks sometimes, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, I like uh, I like to say you should go for quantity then quality. I mean, I think uh, I always encourage people. You know, people are always asking, "What's the least amount of content I can do to start out with?" And I mm-hmm. think you should do more as much content as possible. And because number one, usually have more time. If you're trying to create content, you have a little bit more time in the beginning and therefore might as well maximize it. Number two, you you need to develop the muscle memory. Okay. It's just like going to the gym, starting a diet, you know, uh, starting new routine. Uh, the more often you do that, if you go to the gym once a week, you're not going to see the same results. If you go to the gym three or four or five times a week. So in my opinion, if on YouTube, I think three videos a week is a great way to start because it gets you in a cadence. It gets you in motion. It, it's a lot easier to make a second video that week if you've already made one one or two days before that. And it's easier to make a third video if you made a video two or three days before that. Now, if you're trying to wait uh, once a week or once a month to make some great video, it's probably not going to happen. And then you're going to let things get in the way. So I think the sooner you put it on your schedule, on your calendar, block that time, stay consistent every single week, I would pump out as much as possible in the beginning to get that muscle memory, to get better and to get through the reps. And plus that's going to work out the jitters. And you're also going to look and see, okay, what can I do differently? How do I change things up? Then as you start to get that, uh, you know, practice, more intensely then you get to step back i think and and start focusing on more quality content and that may mean a scaling back to two or even one video a week which is possible as long as you've developed the audience and provide the value and now you're making much better quality content yeah and i, I had a professor in college and i learned this and it's been it's always been a mantra of our agency especially in the creative department is um you know quality comes from quantity 
you know, and, and I learned that early on, you got to go through the grind. You got to learn like the, the more you do, the more you learn, the more you can refine, the more you can find what works, the more you can test and pull. And, but you got to get through that. You can't just push one thing out and say, all right, I'm done. It's probably not the best idea. The, probably the idea is like the fifth one. And so by going through that quantity process, it's a little different than what you're talking about, but kind of the same principle, you know, you, you want to find the good stuff, you know, but you got to push it out there. You got to get things working. You got to be able to flex those muscles constantly to where you can start to hone in your craft too, I think. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, 100%. One of the things that I think is is fascinating when we're talking about content, it's keeping track of it all. What are the tools that you use to decide what you're going to talk about? Calendar it out. Make sure you're not repeating yourself. How do you go through that process um, to be organized and proactive? I mean, we use Trello. So mm-hmm. it's a very simple uh, free online platform that just kind of has a drag and drop system. And so we built out you know, cards in there as far as ideas, uh, what's next to shoot, and then, you know, ready for editing, in editing, um, ready for review. So we have all these different steps, you know, and that way all the appropriate people, which in the beginning, it was just myself. Now, now there's a team in place. So now the Trello board, and even if you're solo by yourself right now, I think a Trello board is still helpful because you still want to have those columns, which is ideas, which you should just stack out as much as possible, 10, 20, 30, 40 ideas. Then you can look at that and say, okay, what's what's uh, urgent? What should I create now based on the content that's relevant to my market or my niche or whatever is going on? Uh, what's likely going to get me the best return? And I'm going to you know, move those up so they're at the top, and then I'm going to start moving them over. Now I'm going to take one idea and start to research that idea. And at least in real estate, I know that people have told me all the time, even if they've been in their market selling homes for 10, 20 or 30 years, uh, they'll say, man, I, I I learned so much just researching my market for videos. I found out a lot of stuff I never even knew, you know, or if they're going into a neighborhood that they've never been before, they're so much more confident because they did the research first. So um, you can do that as fast or uh, take as long as you need. But, you know, there's certain things that you can find and ultimately if you have a good general idea of your market and what to do, it should help with that. And I always encourage people to kind of freestyle as much as they can. If you need to script a few things, maybe that helps you in the beginning. But otherwise, you know, freestyling or having a, a you know a constant flow state of of what you believe it should go. I think bullet points are very uh, helpful. And and the thing is, is that it all comes together in editing. And this is what most people don't understand when they start creating videos is that all the fluff, all the uh, excess, all the mess ups, that that stuff's going to get cut out. So the main thing is, is, you know, if you have something as simple as bullet points, hopefully you can talk about each bullet point for two to three minutes. And that that's really all it takes. I mean, if you think about that, if you got 10 bullet points, then that could easily be a 20 minute video on YouTube if you only talk two minutes about each bullet point. And the thing is, is you don't have to do that in one complete run on sentence for 20 minutes either. You can talk about each bullet point, have a start and a stop, you know, look over, glance at your notes and then do the second bullet point. What happens is in editing, all that excess gets chopped out. It gets pieced together. It looks like a very smooth and seamless process. And once you go through your first couple of videos and you see that, it helps you create videos a lot easier. The first one's always going to be weird or, uh, you know, just awkward. And you're not really sure what you're doing. You have to kind of see the full process before it goes through that. So for us, Trello helps us work through all those steps. It can help you even as a solo person, uh, whatever it is from ideas to ready to shoot, 
um, are ready to research, ready to shoot. And then, you know, and then getting uh, uploaded to YouTube, optimizing SEO, thumbnails, and then publishing. So if you just kind of move that, that's going to help keep you on track. And then, you know, if you put down a good 30 or 40 ideas, you shouldn't be guessing on what your next video is. You should just go right to the top of the list and start making the next video. And that way you can stay in a constant flow. And whenever you get down to two, you know, you know, 10, 10 videos left, start working on your next 20 or 30 ideas. Well, how much though does this talent play into this? Because I mean, you're, you're a personable guy. You're very well spoken. I haven't heard an um from you this entire time. I, I uh, Jackie's the same way. I, I, I hate it because I'll go to edit her and I'm like, there's nothing to clean up. It's always right. Every word you just said sounded like it was like you were reading it from from a cue card, which is impressive to me. Um, not in a bad way. Like you know, you know what you're talking about, right? Now that's talent, you know, and it's experience and it's 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 charisma, right? So for, let's say I'm just a, a regular guy and I'm trying to start my YouTube channel and I stumble over my words. I don't have the right things. Like I'm, most people, like I'm watching, I'm looking at your YouTube channel. Like there are people like you, they, 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 they look the part and they talk so well. And I know that comes from time and practice, but, but how much does that play into that? You know, um, as far as just having a knack for being that, that thought leader, that personality, that face, you know? Well, I mean, it's funny because video is going to, you know, attract the clients that you want to attract. I mean, the way you look is the way you look. I mean, some people will say, well, yeah, you look the part. I don't know what looking the part means exactly, but you know, I look at you and you look the part and I look at Jackie and she looks the part, I guess, for whatever that role Levi, is. I am so not the part. Trust me. I, <laughs> I Levi, what you that, don't but... want them to say is that you have a face for radio. That's yeah. a bad sign. I didn't mean, but, and I didn't mean look wise, just like, again, but that's the, the great that, but that's the great thing about video is zero rejection. I mean, yes, maybe you get a <laughs> few funky comments, but those don't matter. Nobody cares about comments. Yeah. Right? So the people that call you again have already made the decision that they want to work with you. They already know what you look like. They already know what you sound like. They know how you dress. And so that's why it's very important, especially if you're going to be working with your clients offline. Now, if I was a YouTuber that never meets my audience, then I could be some character, right? I could be somebody that I'm not, but I'm going to meet my clients. That's the whole goal because we want to convert that business. So I have to be me and the people that call me, I've, I've done the charts. And if you look even on our analytics, all, all of my viewers, 83% of them fall within a 10-year age range of myself, either 10 years earlier or 10 years after. So I'm right in that 20-year that span of my own age range is the concentration of my viewers. So like attracts like. And, and that's the thing is that this is the simple filtration process of working with people that you actually want to work with as well. Because guess what? The people that call you, probably have some of your same uh, like, you know, uh, characteristics, personality, sense of humor, those types of things. So in my opinion, these are the best clients to work with on top of that, because it kind of filters out uh, some of the crazy ones or people that completely disagree with you on any type of subject. They'll pick that stuff up. We don't really talk about religion or politics or anything like that on the channel, but I'll make some references, you know, time and time again, especially, you know, I know people moving from different coastal areas and I'll talk about Texas being freedom friendly and business friendly and, you know, restriction free, those types of things. And so I'll just make some references like that. And guess what? That attracts the people that are like, yes, this is that this person knows what we're going through. Right. So the thing is, is that you can edit out all, all of those things. Now for me, that, saying um and oz and all that that is that does take practice and because i have the opportunity like jackie to speak at a lot of different places it's something that it's i've always found distracting to me so i've just made a point as best as i can 
to hear it. So I will listen to myself talk uh, as I talk. And whenever I do that, I can catch myself. So I'm not doing, if I do do a um, then it's not going to be a um, you know, where some of those speakers sit there and go, um, and so uh, some of them have catchphrases. I, you know, like, I I can't stand the word like, you know, if someone says like, or every single thing. Uh, some people will say, you know, or they have these filler words or phrases. And so I've done, my mom would always say, you know, and, and then I, I, I listened to a video once and I caught myself saying, you know, kind of three or four times in that video. So I had to consciously say, okay, I'm not going to try to say that ever again. I'm going to work on saying things a lot better. And that typically slows me down on videos. I, I will have a little bit of a slower cadence. Whenever I speak at a conference, I know my material and I'll usually speak a lot faster because a tempo and it keeps people engaged and it just, it, it, it gets them right. If they're writing notes, they have to write really fast. And so then they think you're really smart. I think sometimes if you just talk really fast because, you know, but I know that material when I'm on a video improvising and doing things kind of freestyle, I slow down my cadence and I, and I think about what I'm kind of saying next and I'll pause, but I've gotten to a point now where if I mess up, I will just stop. And sometimes even on video, I'll just freeze. Even if I'm using a hand gesture, if I say something weird and I'll just, I'll just reset to that, that next, that, that sentence. So if I, if I just start off or sometimes I'll get halfway through a sentence and I, and I just lose my train of thought or I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. Then I'll, I'll go back and just start that sentence over. I know it's all going to be cleaned up in editing. That does just take practice repetition. It's just like anything else in life, business, sports, diet, yeah. exercise, whatever you do, you will get more proficient if you stick with it and stay consistent. You will well, get I, th- I think you did a great job of answering that question though. Like, and I think what it comes down to what I heard in that, whether you didn't say the word or not, is being authentic. Yeah. Like you've got to be you. Like you've got to, you know, don't try like you, the people that want you will find you and you will find your audience, you know, just being who you are. Um, and, and even if it may not be perfect or picture perfect or anything like that, it's like, okay, be authentic, be, be the person you're going to be. And, and somehow that'll all work itself out, you know? Exactly. I want to jump in with another thought around that same subject. So to Michael's point, some people just aren't charismatic on video. They're not comfortable on video. They, they can have all the pauses they want and all the editing tricks in the world. It's just not a match. However, there are other options. They can do podcasts where they're not uncomfortable with seeing themselves. They can talk. They can write. Because usually I find people who are either really great talkers or really great writers. So they can write content. Do you feel like there's an equal opportunity for all uh, op- pieces of content? Or do you really prioritize video that much higher than all the other options? It's funny. I I always tell people that you need to follow the path of least resistance if you want to see success sooner rather than later. So if you hate video and you're sitting there forcing yourself every day or you're you're procrastinating every day because you don't want to be on video, then maybe video is not for you. But I, I always ask people to do this. First of all, determine what type of person you are. Are you a reader and a writer? Are you a phone call person? Are you a people person? Or are you a video person? If you can just answer one of those four, then that's going to lead you down the path of a lead generation opportunity that you're likely to stick with and you'll probably be very good at. And in real estate, for example, you know, there's, I know people, people that people that just love people, right. They, they'll talk to anybody and never met a stranger. 
and you put them in front of a camera, they freeze up. They can't talk to, you know, because there's no facial expressions. There's no interaction. They can't do anything. So, you know what? I would say, well, go out and maybe you need to do open houses. You need to do networking events. You need to do community events. You need to host parties. I mean, those are the types of things that get you in front of people. And that's probably what you're going to love. Now, if you're a reader and a writer, well, guess what? Maybe you build an email list and you write newsletters, real estate newsletters every single week. Maybe you host a Facebook group where you can just write stuff in a Facebook group and comment on people's posts. And that's what you do. Maybe you can write the best postcard campaign ever. And if you're a phone call person, guess what? I know people that will make a hundred phone calls a day because they'd rather get rejected on the phone than in person. So if you put that person at an open house, they're going to freeze up. They're not going to talk to anybody. They're going to feel icky and you know, they're not going to like it and they're likely going to quit. So typically people get into business and they go down this path of doing what somebody else told them to do. And, and they don't, they don't really understand who are they, who, what's the path of least resistance for them. So I think that's the question you have to ask is, are you a reader and a writer, a phone call person, a people person, or a video person, then figure out which path uh, a lead generation stems from that and list out five, 10 or 15 or 20, and then say, okay, what am I likely to do? What would I like to do and stick with and, and go all in on that? I remember whenever, um, my next question is kind of two part because I'm curious about this. I remember many years ago, 15, 20 years ago, when we first started, we went, we had a meeting with a real estate agency and it was, they were a big national brand at the time. And they, the way I'm going to picture it is they had a huge giant book. When they put it down, dust flew up. That's how old and archaic it was. And it was giant. It was a giant binder with like things falling out of it. And it was like their, their advertising manual for real estate. And they followed it. It was like, okay, well, I have to do this. I have to have five ads. I have to have this, I have to have this and this, and this. Obviously it's changed a lot. And I think people are, are, are dragging us a lot of speaking to real estate agents in the area and how to get on social media, how to really kind of get out there and do things. My question for you is kind of related to that is what came first for you? Was it real estate? And then you figured out, you know what? I don't like the way this is being done. I have to figure it out my own. Or was what was the precipice for the transition into where you're at now? Now, I had, uh, I had a financial services business uh, up until 2020. I had it for about five years. It was the it was the best time of my life, really, because I worked with uh, all the teachers and on retirement planning. So I had a teacher schedule, but I had about five times a teacher's income. So I worked about eight months of the year. I had every single major holiday off. I took summers off. I traveled the world. I went to 24 countries uh, in nice. three, three years leading up to 2020. And then the world shut down, right? Mm. And school shut down and travel shut down. So my two ways of life which was uh, going to schools and and traveling was completely gone. And I used to I used to email market to the schools and get interest in people and so my whole goal was to try to meet with 3 to 5 teachers per day Monday through Friday to help them with their retirement planning. And that was that was very very lucrative for me. 2020 the first quarter was my most was my best year ever. I was compounding business and I was up 40% over 2019 Q1. So wow. I was on pace to have my biggest year and then literally everything was shut off. Now, the thing is is that I set over the summer of 2020 researching like what's my next move because I was 41 years old at that time and I was asking myself, well, how do I start over without starting over? You know, because what what am I going to do in the middle of a global shutdown, millions and millions, tens of millions of layoffs? What business do you start? I mean, what where do I go from here? So I just set over the summer of 2020 and, and started to research and try to figure out what's my next move. I decided not to watch Tiger King. And I thought, you know what, let me see if I can figure out what's the next play. Well, 
I've got friends that have been trying to get me into real estate for a long time. But the thing was, is I never wanted to be a real estate agent because I just saw them in a different way. I saw them as people that always had the ulterior motive of becoming your friend because they really just wanted to sell your house down the road. So I was kind of like, yeah, you know, and, and I know how hard they work. Now I know that's not them, but that was my perception of real estate agents. Plus I knew how hard they worked, especially in the beginning. I know that that's what they always did was cold calling and door knocking and calling all their friends and family and saying, Hey, by the way, I'm a real estate agent now, make sure you use me. And that scared me to death. I was like, I don't want to do that. So uh, but I didn't really see an alternative. And I started to notice real estate started to grow during 2020 instead of decline. It was like the only industry that started to grow. So I thought, well, if I am going to get into real estate, let me see if I can figure out a plan first, because most people will get into real estate and then they try to figure out a plan. And usually Absolutely. Yeah. by the time they try to figure something out, they run out of money or they burn themselves out or they just, you know, they quit. So I was, I was thinking, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to see if I can figure out a plan, but I want to attract business. Is there a way I could actually bring people to me? Because I've been in sales for 20 plus years, love sales. I was tired of prospecting. I was always pursuing people. I was always chasing the next client. And I'd done that for 20 years. And I realized I just don't want to do that anymore. I was also kind of antisocial at that time. I was that typical 40-year-old that you know didn't grow up with uh, social media in high school or our early twenties, you know, it came around late. And then I thought it was, everybody was bragging, posting their lunch and silly cat videos. So <laughs> I never saw the use of social media. Right. I always, I, I always looked at it from a consumer versus a producer, but I also started to notice the 20 and 30 year olds making some serious money now off of social media. So I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to attract business, uh, that's probably going to be the way I can do that through social, but which platform I didn't want to, start five different platforms, which is what most people will tell somebody whenever they start a new business or get into an industry. They'll be like, congratulations, you're a business owner. Make sure you open up every single social media platform and understand nothing about every single one of them. You know, <laughs> that's what they tell people. And so, and they do that. And then you end up putting 20% effort across five different platforms, never truly mastering one platform. So I didn't want to get caught up in that either. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this through social, that's probably going to be the best way, especially since 2020, there there still wasn't a lot of meet meetups or networking. And I didn't want to do that anyways. So I thought, okay, which platform? I'm going to choose one platform, learn absolutely everything I can on that platform as fast as possible and execute a plan. So that's what I did. YouTube was actually my last choice because everybody was talking about Instagram and TikTok, especially TikTok at that time. But I just didn't see a fit for me. And so I discovered YouTube's a search engine, not really a social media platform. So that also made me a lot more comfortable about getting started on YouTube. And so I thought, you know what? I'm not a great agent. Actually, I had zero experience as an agent. So I didn't want to go online and start pretending to be this great agent. That was the other piece of it. But I've lived in Dallas for 20 years on and off, you know, so I did know my area. I know my neighborhoods. I know my suburbs. And what I also learned through my research is that if I educate people on the area versus how much of a awesome real estate agent I am, I'm more likely to attract business. And so I was comfortable talking about my neighborhoods and suburbs and areas because I've been all over Dallas, everywhere. And I could talk about my own personal experiences and stories and then throw in, you know, a little bit of housing data here and there. That's easy to look up. And that's what I started to do. And then that, that the phone just started to ring off the hook. And and by the end of the first year, I had closed over, uh, you know, a million in commissions within the first year of real estate just from YouTube videos. 
That's awesome. Impressive. Yeah, it really is. And what I love is that, and you said it, you found your niche. You found the place where you felt comfortable and it was your area. You weren't trying to compete with everybody else. And every time there's a new app that gets launched, TikTok, for example, everybody's like, shiny thing and flocks to it. And I'm like, no, stay the course. Unless yeah. you're on MySpace, you might want to have given that up by now. But otherwise, you know, just be the place where you can be you and be excellent. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So what was the catalyst for writing the book and how complicated was that process? We talked a little bit beforehand um, and Michael expressed uh, jealousy at your size. Um, and I had to remind him it's the motion of the ocean, not the size of the wave that counts. Um, oh, Jackie, but- please. <laughs> they're prepared for it um but your book is impressive so tell us a little bit about the process of writing the book uh well the process was the way that i could write a book which was i what also scared me to death was sitting down and typing out a book and uh so i made videos i made videos on every i wrote my outline i knew what all my content was i knew what all my chapters were i knew the outline and i wrote that down and then i made a video about each chapter so uh the funny thing is is actually people don't know this but i do a live podcast still uh, on clubhouse and so i get on the clubhouse i do like a 20 to 30 minute monologue because the last thing i want to do is just record a podcast by myself you know in in my room so i like to get on clubhouse because i have an audience and whenever i have a live audience it makes me perform and speak and and be a little bit more more coherent better, right? So I will typically do a 20 to 30 minute monologue and then I'll open it up for Q&A. So I also like that aspect to be able to have people on there live that I can, that I, that have questions. And then that becomes usually the second half of the podcast. And then I'll just, I, I download that audio and I put it, you know, I publish it on my podcast. So what people didn't know at the time was I recorded my book that way. And so what I did was I didn't have I didn't have a ghostwriter. I had what's called a scribe. And, and so I hired, I hired a company that, that does this. And, and, and what I did was I recorded chapter one in a podcast episode. And what they did is they down, they, they downloaded the transcription and what the scribe does is he's, you know, very proficient, actually written several books himself. And he went through there and kind of cleaned it up. So he made sure if I said, um, or ah, took those out and depending on how I said something, or if I repeated something, he might remove a line here or there. So he just kind of cleaned it up. Then once he did that, he would send it back to me and I would read through there. And then I would, once I read it, I would say, okay. And sometimes I would take something out. I would add something in. Sometimes I would, I would type out a paragraph or two, but it was much easier for me to type out a paragraph or two than it is to type out 10 pages for a chapter. So because I had the base and I know my material, it was just easier for me to speak it and, and freestyle it than it is to just sit there and try to have this constant stream of thought, uh, through typing it out. And so I did that chapter by chapter. And we did that every single way he would transcribe or download the transcription, clean it up, send it to me. I would add to it or take away, send it back to him. He would check and make sure my grammar, punctuation, spelling was correct and do a last edit and send it back to me. So normally we would only have to go back and forth to each other, uh, you know, twice, you know, he'd send it to me or, and then I'd send it back to him twice. And that became very efficient to where we were able to knock it out really quickly. And then, and then something like the intro, because I never, I never really 
thought, how could I, how do I structure like an introduction of a book? You know, every book has a good introduction. Well, that was something that he did. So he would say, well, based on once it was done, he said, okay, I'm going to take all this information. He's like, I'm going to craft an introduction for you. And so that was nice to have that, that piece of it done for me as well. And then I would read that, add to it or take away. And then, and then, and then sent it back and we cleaned it up. And then I asked Ryan Serhant to write the forward for the book. And he said, yes. And so he wrote the forward and I asked Ryan, I said, do you want to write it or do you want us to write something and send it to you to, to edit? So kind of the same concept, right? And Ryan said, write it and send it to me, right? So he didn't even want to write out a, uh, you know, a forward. So what we did was, is we took one of his last talks that he had, one of his last public speaking events and we went through that and we're kind of like, oh, let's just kind of like summarize that. And luckily he was speaking about video and the power of YouTube. And so we just kind of took some of those those top highlights and and put together a forward. I emailed it over to Ryan. He changed like two lines in it and then sent it back to, to us and said, you know, approved, you know, so it was that simple. And so that's something else that I would encourage is that and the same thing with the blurbs. You know, I got blurbs by Sean Cannell, Pete Vargas you know, Benji Travis, uh, Dennis, you, you know, people that are hard to track down, but I would just, I wrote the blurbs for them based on uh, a lot of them I've had discussions with or been on their podcast. So I went back to their podcast and I was like, Hey, what's something nice they said about me, you know? And then, uh, and then, and so I just would kind of write out a little blurb and I said, Hey, you said this on this podcast about me. Do you mind if I use that as a blurb, send it to them? And they, they all wrote back and said, yep, that works. You know? And so if you want blurbs, forwards, things like that from other people, make it easier on them. Don't sit there and bug them and ask them to write, you know, because these are busy people, very successful people try to give them something to work with and get it back for them. So for me, it was a lot easier than I ever thought, because the reason I think I took so long to ever do a book, because I was always thinking that I had to sit down and type it out. And that uh, just really scared me to death. <laughs> and so, so I thought okay. when I learned about a scribe concept, I thought, man, that that's exactly how I can do this. So I think it took, yeah. And I, think it, and I think it took, you know, probably start to finish about 60 days and, you know, and we did it on a Trello board as well. So the thing is, is that we, I listed the whole outline chapter by chapter on the Trello board. Um, he would transfer. And so he would put the Google docs back in there. He'd move it to ready for review for Levi. I would edit it, put it back in there, move it to ready to review Mark. And then he would edit it, put it, you know, and so we're always getting tagged on Trello. And so we use the Trello board as well to write the book. Just nice. brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> um, I, I'm shocked to realize that we've been doing this for almost an hour because I feel like we've been talking for 10 minutes. Um, you are a great guest. Thank you. One of the things that I think makes you so good at what you do is that you know who you are. Michael said it earlier, authentic. And I, I see a lot of people struggling with that. They want to be like this person or like that person. How did you really figure out who you are and how you were going to share something unique that wasn't already being said by all the other content creators out there. I, I don't know. I don't know if I ever set out with that goal. I think it was just me being me. Right. So I think that was, I uh, just kind of developed my own style. I mean, I, I watched a lot of YouTube. Here's the thing is that I, I love to tell people this. I believe you can hyper learn any subject in 60 days in this day and age with YouTube, with the internet, Google, Amazon, I mean, everything that's out there, pick a subject, you can learn it in 60 days. And so for me, 
I when I picked YouTube, guess what I did? I I watched all the people that there's there's a, a thousand people that teach YouTube on YouTube. They will teach you all the how to how to make videos, how to structure videos. Then you watch creators. Uh, you watch you know there's the Casey Neistat's and there's the I mean, Mr. Beast, you could even learn something from you could, uh, you know, Peter McKinnon's all these great YouTube creators that you start to look at things differently. Now, when I watch TV shows, I look at them differently. I started looking at things uh, at watching real estate shows just to see how they're structured, the transitions, the timing, you know, the story, all this type of thing. I'm looking at it from a different point of view. You know, if you think about billboards or anytime you open up Netflix, Netflix is just a series of thumbnails. So if you think about it, you start looking at Netflix differently. Okay, why did they put that on the thumbnail for Netflix? You look at a magazine cover when you're standing in the grocery line. Those are thumbnails. Look at how many words they're using, the shock headlines, the pictures. You know, all of that is now starting to help me think about the creative process through YouTube. So I just start to look at things a lot differently, but ultimately... If you want to be the best, uh, I don't know, let's say in real estate, for example, there's a, a thousand different ways you can market, but I would say choose one. Let's say you are that phone call person and you want to market to for sell by owners, right? That's a huge niche in real estate. Well, just type in FSBO. Those are the initials for it. Everybody in the industry calls it FISBO. Well, type in FSBO on Amazon. Guess what? 50 books are going to pop up on how to market to FISBOs. Buy 10 of them, okay? Then go onto YouTube and type in FSBO. Guess what? There's going to be thousands of videos of people teaching you how to market to FISBOs. Guess what? Type in cold calling. Well, buy five books on cold calling and just go through. You watch the videos, read the books. Guess what? You do that over 60 days, which is what I did instead of watching Tiger King. And I immersed myself in that. And I just, I learned a format, a plan. I, I, I treated it like a business because if you don't treat these platforms like a business, then they're going to pay you like a hobby because you'll end up treating them like a hobby. So mm -hmm. the thing is, is that uh, they're very powerful if you understand the back end, the analytics. And I'm not saying you have to become this data nerd or this analytical nerd or anything like that, but you need to understand something. You need to understand processes and flows and things like that, at least enough to get you started. And then if you want to hire somebody else uh, to do the rest of it, you can do that. But otherwise, you got to have some baseline. So for me, uh, it's just, uh, you know, putting everything I can into it. I'm still a constant learner and it's all, I'm always searching for solutions. So kind of like the book, I started to look at, you know, alternatives to writing a book, actually writing a book. I started, I reached out to other authors that I didn't know and say, Hey, how did you write your book? How did you do this? Asking those questions. And so, you know, and I, and I learned and I figured that out the other way. And I thought, Ooh, a scribe. Well, that sounds cool because I wanted to be, I wanted to provide the content. Nobody could, I couldn't have this ghost written or had it done for me. I needed to provide the content, but how do I do that? Well, I found the path of least resistance for me to write a book is to speak the book and then have that transcribed. And so that's, you know, there's a solution for everything out there. You just have to find it. No, that's brilliant. Um, I, you know, I probably have another hour's worth of questions, but I also have to be sensitive to our time. And I thank you for giving us so generously of your time. How can the people find you? Cause they're going to want to know where you are. Cause they're going to want to watch all these videos. Yeah, just go to, you can go to book.passiveprospecting.com if you want to get a, 
a copy of the book there. And then of course you can find us on YouTube as well. So, but I would say go to book.passiveprospecting.com for your listeners. I think we're offering it for, for 295. That's it. (laughs) So you get the book for 295. That's awesome. Levi, thank you so much. We really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.